atheists, agnostics, long-haired weirdos, short-haired weirdos, vandals, hooligans. The government hug the government love. The government hug the government love. The government hug the government love. Welcome to The Politics Guys, a place for bipartisan, rational, and civil debate on American politics and policy. I'm Northern Kentucky University political scientist Michael Baranowski. I'm joined today by my conservative counterpart, attorney and former deputy assistant to President Trump, May Mailman. Hey, Mike. Hey, May. How are you? I am good. Doing okay myself, actually. So there's a number of things that we were we didn't get to in our weekend show that I am looking forward very much to talking to you with you about today. So one of these things is a policy wonkish sort of thing. I like getting into some of these. And it's also, weirdly, a sort of a bipartisan-ish sort of thing. And that is that in this last week, the top congressional tax writers in both parties, they announced a deal that would do two things. One thing that Democrats really like and one thing that Republicans really like, hence the bipartisanship. It would increase the child tax credit. That's the Democrats thing, of course, and restore a number of business tax deductions that were eliminated to help pay for that 2017 Tax Cuts and job, Jobs Act. That would be the thing that Republicans like. And so House, the House Ways and, Ways and Means Committee chair, it's Republican Jason Smith, he said of the deal, American families will benefit from this bipartisan agreement that provides greater tax relief, strengthens Main Street businesses, boosts our competitiveness with China, and creates jobs. His Senate counterpart, Democrat Senate Finance Committee Chair Ron Wyden, said 16 million kids from low-income families will be better off as a result of this plan. And given today's miserable political climate, it's a big deal to have this opportunity to pass pro-family policy that helps so many kids get ahead. Now, the details are under the agreement, the maximum child tax credit would go from $1,600 to $2,000 through 2025 and be indexed to inflation. It would also raise the limit for the low-income housing tax credit by 12.5% through 2025, as well as bring back business tax breaks for uh, research and development, interest deductibility, expensing for investment in capital expenditures, and eliminate double taxation for Taiwanese companies that have operations in both Taiwan and the U.S. Now, according to the Center on Budget and Policy Priorities, if this is enacted, the child tax credit would benefit 16 million children, that's where Wyden got that number from, in low-income families and lift around 400,000 children out of poverty in its first year. So how would it be paid for? Well, it would cost $78 billion, and the pay for would be by reducing the, or sorry, eliminating the employee reduction tax credit, which leaders of both the House and Senate committees say has been a source of significant business fraud since the pandemic. And when I looked at the plan, it seems like it's structured so that the tax breaks expire at the end of 2024. And that coincides with the scheduled expiration date of those personal tax cuts passed in the 2017 TCJA. And, and I remember, May, you, you referenced that in the weekend show. But the $80 billion in spending or the $80 billion that pays for it actually is 
projected to come over a decade. So in other words, there's a little bit of hocus pocus here, essentially. And it's pretty common, actually, a way for legislators to argue that their spending or tax cutting proposals don't increase the deficit when in practice, they actually will end up increasing the deficit. And Politically, the lead negotiators say, hey, we think we can get this thing through. They're hoping to get it through before the end of January when tax season begins because that tax credit thing would take a, would start for the 2023 tax year. I don't know how likely that is, but I think it's an interesting proposal because it does have something for both sides. Oh, what do you think, May? Yeah, I, of course, get... Uh, sad when we add to the deficit unnecessarily, I guess, like without even really trying to find pay for is this like, oh, well, there's like a fraudulent program that we think we're going to be able to cabin or shut down or it's like, okay. That said, um, it's a good, it's a good bill. I, I you know, it's it's hard being a parent in this country and everything is very expensive. And if this helps families just manage their day to day, then I'm in favor of it. Of course, I have less understanding of the needs of R&D reduction, tax cuts for businesses and, and all that complication in part. Uh, the Tax Cut and Jobs Act was not just a tax cut. It was also to simplify so that there were, all, you know, fewer deductions and, and, and all sorts of things that you did. And it was just a little bit more straightforward. So you kind of go backwards on that. But, yeah, I, I don't have a problem with this deal. That said, I don't find it, uh, like, life-changing, I guess. So... Families will have a few more thousand dollars that will help them manage the increased costs that we've seen, you know, I, I will say since the Biden administration, but we can also say post-pandemic and, and post, you know, Ukraine-Russia. But, you know, there are real problems in that our families are facing. This doesn't obviously address any of that. Um, and. Like, I think also the business climate, if some of these regulations that I see coming through requiring companies who want to be listed on the New York Stock Exchange to talk about their carbon emissions soup to nuts for every project they're going to do. Like, there are real problems for businesses and real problems for individuals, and this doesn't get to any of that. So it's like, okay, happy to celebrate this, but... I don't know. I don't know what it does. Well, I think, yeah, I think there's a little less clear benefit for the the business cuts, though. I think certainly when, you, when we look at the child tax credit, that can have and it's it's geared toward lower income families. But that's not to say that somewhat higher income families don't take advantage. It starts to phase out at. $200,000 or 400000 if you're married filing jointly. So that's a that's still a middle tax credit as well. But, you know, $1,000 or so to a particularly to a lower income family, that can be 
a real difference. Now, there are some folks who argued that it never should have been reduced from the $3,600 a year it was. This was in 2021. It's kind of a pandemic measure. And then it went back down to that $2,000 maximum, essentially. But I think this is, I think this is largely a good thing. But I don't know, for me, what just sticks in my craw, I can't believe I just said that sticks in my craw. Jesus, when I'm 80, anyway, what bugs me is I hate that phony budget thing, right? That whole, well, we're going to pretend that it's going to phase out. I don't know, maybe it will, maybe it won't. But oftentimes these things are not allowed to phase out. And it seems to me that if you're going to count the pay for over the course of a decade, you should have to count the, you should have to assume that the cut, the thing you're paying for isn't going to phase out. That seems, you know what I'm saying? Oh, I completely agree. And my sense was this program that allows companies who were harmed during COVID to take certain deductions was going to sunset anyway. So you're cutting a program that was already going to be cut and you're trying to to collect those savings. It is a true absurdity. So these budget gimmicks, of course, are not new. And even if you don't have a budget gimmick, for example, the student loan program was supposed to bring in money that was going to help pay for Obamacare. And of course, the student loan program has done nothing but lose money, especially now that you're just, quote unquote, forgiving student loans. So even when you think it's going to, there's some sort of savings, there rarely is. And it's it's very frustrating because then you're just, you know, we're already 33 trillion. We'll just add 34 and then 35. So $78 billion for one year is, I think, doable. But at, at some point, you've got you've to fill the hole. And there just doesn't seem to be any interest in even acknowledging that there is a hole. I only know that. I mean, I'm certainly not a, a deficit hawk like, like some people. I think you certainly and, and Trey much more like that. So if it bugs me, it's just got to incense. I know a lot of other folks. And so I, you have, you have my sympathy on that, but I get the sense also that even though Wyden and, and others have expressed optimism about this, I know politically that trying to pass anything in an election year is pretty tricky. And honestly, even though I think that this is something that would be at least marginally helpful, I suspect that this is going to end up going by the boards and not end up getting passed. And I wonder what you thought about that. Um, They've been working on it for several years. I do think there's a will. So I would hope that there's away. So I'm actually going to say, I do think it will get passed. I know that a lot of conservative groups are for it. Um, and if conservative groups can put aside their irritations about, you know, our deficit, which seems like we can, I have, I have hope for this. You know, that said, maintain my position that like, this idea that the reason that families in America are struggling is because the government isn't giving them enough money is just like a, it, it's lying. It's a lie. There, there are other things that are going on. So I just don't think that it's a real solution, but it is helpful. And I think because it is helpful, I see this passing. Okay. Well, I like the optimistic take. I hope you're right about that for sure. 
Let's move on to something very different, an area that I know you have particular expertise in of law, at least. And now I'll let you just kind of lead us off on this one. Yeah. So um, since, well, basically since the 60s, when you have some civil rights statutes protecting from discrimination on the basis of sex, there have slowly become questions about whether those statutes, so I'm talking specifically about Title VII and Title IX, also protect against discrimination. First, it was really about sexual orientation. And so throughout the years that, you know, there have been court cases going either way. And finally, in the Bostock decision, Justice Gorsuch wrote this, and this was in 2020, I think, that that Title VII, which covers employment, and so you can't discriminate on the basis of sex and employment, that that also means that you cannot fire someone for being gay or for being transgender. A lot of questions really about how that decision might extend. And so the real question has been, how will it affect Title IX? Title IX is a little bit different. So Title IX, unlike a ban on employers from discriminating on the basis of sex, it says if you take this federal money in your education program, then you can't discriminate on the basis of sex. But... You can do all these things. You can have separate living facilities. You can have separate bathrooms. You can have separate sports teams. So so really, it was seen more as a you need to provide equal opportunity between the sexes rather than you can't, quote unquote, discriminate. Like you can treat the sexes differently as long as we're just treating the sexes equally because they're in, in a lot of educational settings. That makes a lot of sense. So you've had questions pop up related to sports and so on. But I think the big original fight was about bathrooms. If you are a trans identifying individual, when can you and must you have access to a bathroom of the opposite sex? Not, not, this is not about single stalls. There are always in these cases, single stalls available. But in this Indiana case, Martinsville, does a trans-identifying individual have the right under Title IX to go into the bathroom of the opposite sex? There have been court cases coming out on both sides of this issues at the Court of Appeals level. So, for example, the 11th Circuit says, no, you do not, Title IX does not require eliminating bathroom distinctions. Versus the Seventh Circuit, which is this particular case, and the Fourth Circuit have said, yes, Title IX does require that. So there was question about whether the Supreme Court was going to take this Martinsville, this Indiana case. And the Supreme Court decided last week that they were not going to take it. I think it was upsetting for a lot of people for a few reasons. One, it's just confusing. You really don't know if you're living in the majority of the United States what Title IX requires. So you as a school do not know whether you're going to get sued. You you actually have a lack of guidance that the Supreme Court should have weighed in on. Um, but on the other hand, there are so many questions surrounding Title IX. Do you want the first case that the Supreme Court considers to be a bathrooms case, 
Or would a better set of facts be about sports? Do uh, biological males who identify as female need to play in women's sports? Maybe that is a better case for the Supreme Court to take. There's a more likelihood of success. Um, these types of things. So ultimately, we have no idea why the Supreme Court didn't take it. Nobody gave any reasoning. Nobody dissented. So clearly, everybody has something going on in their mind. But the Supreme Court did not take that case. So were you surprised about that, Mike? Maybe a little bit. I think, you know, when I read the Seventh Circuit's opinion, at one point, Judge Wood basically asked him to take it, right? She said, we assume that at some point the, the Supreme Court's going to step in and give us more guidance than it's furnished so far, which is a polite way of saying, hey, we haven't gotten any guidance on this. And, and you know, normally, right, when there's a, an appellate split, that's sort of a red flag for the court. But, but also, take your point that this isn't the cleanest set of facts, the cleanest case maybe to make a ruling on, right? And maybe something that's easier for the court to grab onto would be athletic participate. But then again, wasn't there a case, I think in 2021, the court decided not to take a case with uh, West Virginia and a transgender athlete policy. So, but I know in this case, I believe the the student in question, I think, is now out of middle school and into another school where a different policy applies. And so it's maybe messy for that reason. And so I guess maybe that's what they're what they're thinking. I, like you said, since we don't have any dissents, it's hard to know. But what's what's your take on why with this circuit split on a obviously pretty important issue that the court decided to just not decide? Wait, before you go, I've got some news for you. While that is it for the free preview of this Supporters Midweek episode, there is a lot more, and you can hear it all every week by becoming a supporter. Now, normally, that means $5 a month or more, but for the rest of January, we're cutting that in half, just $2.50 a month for not just the full midweek episode, but ad-free versions of everything we release and access to our always lively, often provocative and, you know, occasionally even kind of wise Politics Guys Discord group. And you will lock in that access at $250 a month for the entire year of 2024 with everything that's going to be going on. I think it's an awesome deal. But if $250 a month is just too much, how about free? That's right. If you are not in a position to financially support the podcast, but you would like to get the full midweek episode, just send me an email, mike at politicsguys.com, and I will make sure that every week you get a link to that full midweek supporters episode. To check it out, go to patreon.com slash politicsguys, or you can just check it out in the show notes. I always have the link there or at politicsguys.com slash support. And before I go, as always, a, a special thank you to our wonderful executive producers, Bruce Johnson, Wilmer Moreno, Andra Masker, Daniel Toe, Brian Beasley, and Don Oglesby.